Well, good morning. It's, a, it's an honor and a privilege to, to open this series with you, to open the Word this morning. If you have your Bibles, your Bible app, some sort of device, uh, turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, that's where we'll be today. Thank you, choir and orchestra, for leading us in worship this morning. Let me start us with prayer. Father, thank you for gathering us together as your children this morning. We've gathered in your name for your purpose to glorify you, to praise you, to put our minds and our hearts back on you. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you want us to hear this morning. We believe that you have great joy for us, that at your birth it was announced that you would be great, good news and great joy for all people. And so I pray, Father, that as we listen to your word this morning, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Speak to us about what is standing in the way of our joy in you, what it is that we're looking at that seems so daunting and overwhelming. Point our eyes back to you, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, teach us. You're the teacher. My words mean very little if we don't hear from you. So for that reason, we have gathered, Father, and we ask all this in your name. Amen. Philippians chapter 1, we're calling it a book of joy. I've titled my message, Defiant Joy, because there's so much in our life and in our world right now that would seek to steal any sense of joy or confidence or hope in our lives. I think you can all agree, coming out of the pandemic, we've, we've struggled with a sense of where's this going, who's, in, who's really in charge. We're in a culture where it seems like daily there's another news of a shooting or some sort of crisis going on. We have uncertainty about the economy, inflation, rents are skyrocketing. People worried about financial future, what's going on. My purpose is not to bring you really low this morning before I bring you up, all right? But just to point out that life is hard, and it can be hard with Jesus, but the longer I've been with him, I can't imagine life without him. Because we're all facing the same problems. Whether Christian or not, whether you're here today and a believer in Jesus or not, we're all facing the same stuff. So where is your source of joy? Where do you go to? What do you look to when all this is swirling around you? Some of us are dealing with very difficult personal things right now. News of diagnoses and, and family loss and things going on. So I want to be sensitive to that as I, as I bring the word this morning. Because Christian joy is not some happy, clappy, bubblegum, pop, sugar, popular uh, joy that, that the world offers. It's joy in trouble. It's joy in circumstances. It's not an ignoring or a minimizing of pain, but it is joy in it. And if that's available, I want it. I don't know about you, but if that's available, I want it. So how do I get there? Some of you may have been walking in this morning pretty heavy, like a pit in your stomach. So... I want to I open the word this morning and let it teach us from someone who has incredible credibility. That, that sounds like, has amazing credibility with us on this topic. How do we have defiant joy, a joy that refuses to give in to circumstances, a joy that is lasting, abiding, that doesn't deny the reality going on around us, but see, is bigger and beyond what we're going through. Whether you're a Christian or not, we all need something bigger and beyond what we're going through to look for. Because if we just look around us, it can be very discouraging, very isolating. We need something bigger and beyond us. And I believe Paul has that for us in Philippians chapter 1, throughout this book. 
throughout this wonderful book. Let's see if I can do this right. It's a book, if you've been a, a believer for a while, you'll recognize a lot of the verses in this, in this text in Philippians. It's a book of joy. Look, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Other pastors are going to speak on these, on these passages. I'm not trying to steal anybody's thunder, but I just want us to kind of warm up to this book, Philippians. I want to challenge you to, to take this series, you know, memorize some verses this July out of this book. Read it multiple times this week. or re- Challenge yourself to read it at least once a week. It's four chapters. It takes you maybe 10 or 15 minutes. I'm a slow reader. It took me 20. All right? Take, t- dive into this series because we all need joy. And we need to represent a joyful Christianity to the world. I don't know about you, but folks that maybe look at Christianity, joy is maybe not be their first word that they associate with us. But we're all going through the same stuff. And so I want to represent a joyful Christianity um, and a joyful faith to those around us. Philippians 2, 5 through 11, beautiful passage. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very form of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God our Father. Then you turn over to chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Not that I've already obtained all this or have been made perfect yet, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, and some of you can quote this, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus. Philippians 4.13. A lot of these verses end up on Christian t-shirts and Christian mugs, but these, these are much more meaningful. I believe these verses are clues, are 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 instructions for us about how to live a life of joy in difficulty, in situations. Philippians 4, 13. Some of you can quote this. If you can, say it out loud. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Paul wasn't pointing to himself as if he'd figured out how to live a life of joy, saying it really wasn't about him, it wasn't about me. It's about Christ in me. So how can we have a defiant joy, an abiding joy, a joy that doesn't deny what we're going on, but fully recognizes the situation we're in, but is bigger and beyond our circumstances that points to something greater? Let's look in Philippians chapter 1, because if that's available, I I want more of it. I need more of it. How can we stand up under the pressures of life, the circumstances of life, without despairing, without giving in, without feeling overwhelmed? And it's, it's understandable that we would feel those things because of all that's going on in the world. But let's look at Philippians chapter 1 before I get into the verses there. A little background on Philippians. I wish I had time to look at Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 tells the story of how the church in Philippi was started. And so I want to invite you to take, take some time this week and look at Acts chapter 16. An amazing story. Paul going to the major cities. He's looking for, he starts, he's, his first Strategy is to find people who are worshipers of God, who are believers in, in, the, in the Jewish God, and he goes and he shares the gospel. 
and a business lady named Lydia, a seller of purple cloth. That's not an accident. That, that means she had some wealth and some, and some means, and she was an entrepreneur and a successful business lady. She comes to faith. Then a few days later, we're, we're unsure how long later, he's in Philippi, and this young lady is after him. To, she's, she's, a, she's a slave girl, so she's abused, she's trafficked, and she has her bosses, her owners, that use her to make their money. She has a spirit in her that keeps calling out to Paul and Silas, telling people, they're tell- he's telling you the truth, the way to be saved. And their burden for her and the fact that she's trafficked and, and, and a slave, they cast that spirit out of her. And that makes her owners mad. And they, have, they take them to the... I'm giving you the background, so I'll just take the time and do it. So here we go. Um, they, take, they, they, they take them to the marketplace and they say, these Jews are, are advocating things that are not right for Romans. And so they, they arrest him, and they tell, take him to the jailer and say, take good care of him. They flog both guys. They beat him to within an inch of their life, put him in the, in the inner cell where there's no light, there's no ventilation. It's hot. It's damp. There are probably rats. There's no sanitation whatsoever. Put their feet in stocks. So they've had a day. They've had a day. They've been beaten within an inch of their life. Scars are hurting. Now the stocks were meant to be uncomfortable, restrict their movement. They can't move. They're chained, and their feet are in stocks. And the scripture says, at midnight, at midnight, they're singing hymns and praising. And all the prisoners can hear them, probably wishing they would shut up so they could go to sleep. But all the prisoners can hear from within the inner cell, Paul and Silas worshiping. That seems extreme to me because that's, that would not be my reaction if I just had that kind of day, <laughs> necessarily. Paul and Silas worshiping and praising. So where does that joy come from? How do you get to that place? Then the next day, over, during the night, there's an earthquake. The, the doors fly open on the prison. I don't know about you, but if I saw that happen, I'd say, thank you, Jesus, you've answered my prayer. I'm out of here. The jailer wakes up. He knows his life is over because he had authority to, if any prisoners escaped, he knew it was a death sentence for him. Paul and Silas are aware that they're they're not just thinking about themselves and their escape. They say, we're we're all here. And so now the prison guard, regular blue-collar guy, recognizes a greater authority than the authority of Rome. What would keep people in voluntarily in a prison? I want to know more about this. He comes to faith, his whole household. So Lydia, her whole household has been baptized in the faith. The jailer, his whole household is baptized in the faith. And that's how church gets started. Not a lot of church planters getting arrested these days or thrown into prison. But that's how the church of Philippi got started. And Paul loved this church. They supported him. They encouraged him. They gave him what he, when he was in trouble, they gave him what he needed. And this letter is a letter of encouragement. It's a pastoral letter. It's not a letter of, I hear this is going on, y'all need to straighten up. It's a very loving letter, an encouraging letter. And Paul, once again, is in prison. If anybody ever asks you, where was this letter written? You, it's a good, safe guess to say he, Paul was in prison. And so if you've done time today, you're in good company with a lot of the heroes in the Bible. Paul spent time in prison, and he wrote a lot of letters from prison, and this is one of them. Philippians, let's look at verses, uh, let's look at verses 9 through 26 this morning. I'm going to try to read these quickly. Um, Paul's writing and he says, and this is my prayer, 
that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now I want to stop right there in verse 11. I happen to know that, notice that if you go out in our airlock, out here, take a right, you'll look up on the wall, and there's a marble plaque on the wall. It says March 1st, 1964. Philippians 1.11, to the praise and glory of God. That was the original purpose and vision for this church, that it would exist for the praise and glory of God. And so when I saw it, I said, that's right there, Philippians 1.11. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So again, he's in prison, probably under house arrest, chained to a, a Roman soldier. What has happened to me as difficult and uncomfortable as it is, has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. How did, they, how did that become so clear to them? Probably because Paul let them know, and he was always singing at all hours of the night. Can you imagine being chained to Paul? Oh, my goodness. How many times I hear the gospel? Have I told you my story? I need a, I need some, I need a pen and I need some paper. I've got to write some letters. Who is this guy? I've never been chained to somebody like him before. Like, who is this guy? Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry and others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, Not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what do I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know I will remain And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ will overflow on account of me. So what is joy? How do we define that? If happiness is based on our circumstances, how would you define joy? If someone would ask you, what is this topic? It sounds kind of vague. Is it it happiness? Is it smile on my face? What, what, What is joy? One pastor who served in London for a long time said that, Joy is the soul's response to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. I can't put it any simpler than that. It's hard to put into words. It's something that we want to communicate to those around us that there is joy in Christ, but sometimes we just can't put it into words. Jesus didn't give us a lot of instructions. Here's what joy is and here's how to get it and all that. It was just part of him. He did say, I tell you these things, I give you these teachings so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. It's God's intention that we have joy. He knows we're facing he knows the, tr- the difficulties we face. He knows the situations we're in. But we need not be overwhelmed 
defeated, we have joy. So what stands in our way? I thought about this. What stands in my way? In 20 years of ministry, as I've talked to people, what are some things that have come up over and over that are standing in the way of us experiencing deep joy in Jesus? I'll cover some of these. Worries and the cares of this life. It's natural. i got four kids. A lot of worries and cares in this life. Jesus said that it's the worries of this life and the cares of this world that will choke out the seed of the gospel. He knew that was part of our experience. It doesn't have to be that way, but that is something that steals our joy sometimes. Sometimes we live with divided hearts. Part of us, you know, we're with Jesus, and then part of us, we're not sure. We have different priorities. Honestly, sin. Sin steals our joy. It blocks our, our communication with God, our connection with God. Um, it, 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 things that we're holding on to, we haven't confessed, we haven't let go of. It steals our joy. Shame, guilt, those things associated with sin steal our joy. Anger at God. Sometimes we're just angry. We're confused. We're not sure where God is. He doesn't feel close. I can't explain the things that are going on in my life. Why would this happen? We're angry at God. I meet people. I thought about this one. I've been a Christian for a long time. And if, when you hear testimonies, of people who've just come to Christ, or people, as we look back at our own stories and we talk about the moment we came to Jesus, a lot of times there's this expression of joy, like a burden has been lifted off our shoulders, right? And you'll hear that testimony. But sometimes the longer we are, the more familiar we get with this thing, the longer we've been in church, the longer we've been, sometimes we lose, at least I have over time, in in different seasons, lost a sense of wonder and awe about this, a sense of adventure, and where's the joy in it? It's become kind of familiar with it. And I need to reconnect with this Jesus that, that gave me joy when I first came to know him and who he was. Boredom. Boredom with life, predictability. Boredom is a, is a big issue in our culture right now. Why is Netflix and YouTube and Amazon Prime, why, why, why are we so addicted to those things? It's just boredom. Uh, nothing bigger and beyond where we currently are in our situation. So I need an escape. I need a temporary hit of dopamine or some sort of thing to help me break away. People are bored. False expectations. I thought when I came to Jesus, he was going to make everything go smoothly. I thought it was going to make my life better and get rid of this problem. I've been praying for this for so long. False expectations. I've, I've, had, you know, I've had moments where I've expected that Jesus to show up for me when I haven't been showing up for him. False expectations sometimes. And disobedience. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commands. They're not burdensome. And I tell you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. When we aren't obeying Christ, we don't get to see him at work. And we don't see Christ at work, we don't see God at work, that makes us very vulnerable to our faith gets stale. We need to see God at work. We need to see lives change. We need to see people coming to faith. And the way to do that is by being obedient to Christ. We need to learn how to love difficult people and experience that. We need to actually obey what Jesus said. That's been a conviction of mine. Why am I not experiencing more joy in my, li- my life? Are you doing what I told you to do? You'll see me at work. And when you see me at work, you'll be amazed. And that'll, in exchange, that'll give you joy. And then a lack of real community. Who really loves me? Who really knows me? Who am I serving? I'm amazed here that Paul is in prison 
uncomfortable, uncertain about his future. People are standing up to him, opposing him in public. I don't know how you, stay, I don't know how you respond to those kind of situations. But he's thinking about the Philippians. His mind is on somebody else and their welfare and their joy. And so sometimes a lack of real community and connection in the church can steal our joy. And, we, and when we're going through difficult things, sometimes we tend to isolate and not tell everybody about it and try to deal with it that way. He hasn't designed his church that way. So those are just some things that kind of steal our joy. But the good news is that Jesus offers us abiding, defiant joy in our life. Those don't have to be the end of the story. Those don't have to be the things that we're constantly living with. There's another way. There's another option. And I believe we see it in the life of Paul. Here's where Philippi is, or was. Philippi is, another, is a city there now. It's in, in Greece. So Paul would travel around and go to these major cities, and he would share the gospel, and he'd often get arrested <laughs> for doing it. Um, I have some images here. Just to, just to kind of give you a, a visual of, of the people he encountered. Lydia, the slave girl, and the Roman jailer. They came to faith. Now, what, is, what do I think is the secret that we get here? And as we go through this series, you're going to be getting other clues from the other pastors about what it means to live a life of joy. And I think this whole chapter hinges on this one verse, Philippians 1.21, and that's where I want to spend the rest of our time. Paul said, For him to live is Christ, and to die is gain. What does that mean? What does that look like? That was the thing that was that was bigger and beyond his circumstances, was Christ. Everything around him, might, and everybody would understand if you felt discouraged or overwhelmed, defeated, that's totally understandable, but there's something bigger and beyond where I am that I've got my eyes focused on. And I'm leaning heavy into that, and I'm relying on that as my source of joy. And I've got an eternal purpose that doesn't depend on my circumstances or my situation. To live as Christ and to die as gain. What does that mean? Think about it this way. What would you put in that blank? To live is blank. What would you put in that blank? What would some people put in that blank? To live is wealth. To live is comfort. To live is a solid retirement. To live is acceptance. To live is self-actualization. To live is authenticity. To live is a comfortable life. To live is what? To live. Whatever you put in that blank, to die means loss. Christ is eternal. Our hope is eternal. Our source of joy is eternal. If we make this life about Christ, in Paul's mind, dying was gain. Living was the sacrifice in his mind. Living was the sacrifice. That to me is convicting. Um, what does it mean to live as Christ? It means to show his bigness in a world that thinks he's small. To show his bigness in our lives, in our situations, in our struggles, that everybody else around us is, it has the same ones, whether believer or not. It's to show his bigness, that he's bigger and beyond our circumstances, but he's with us right in the middle of it. It's to show his bigness in a world that thinks he's small. Here Paul was, locked up, uncertain about his future, being publicly, people were coming in behind him, undermining his ministry. And yet, as long as Christ is magnified, as long as Christ is glorified, to show that he is bigger than our circumstances, to defiantly worship, love, give thanks, obey Christ no matter what's going on. 
That means to live is Christ. And I think Paul would have a lot of credibility if he was standing here talking to us about this subject. Sometimes people look at pastors, ah, do you really know? Do you really understand? What have you been through? How, do you, how can you say these things? But if Paul were standing here today, what would we notice about him? We'd see scars all over his body. His skin would probably be dark and leathery from all the times he's walked from village to village, city to city, all the ships that he's ridden on. Might be a little thin and gaunt from missing some meals. And he'd stand here before us, and he would say the secret to his joy is he's learned that life is about Christ and death ultimately is, is gain. And he says, look at, look at what he says here. Um, he says, I am torn between the two. Verse 23, I desire to be with Christ, which is better by far. Now that Greek, in the word Greek, the by far there means immeasurably, and I can't even calculate how much better it is. It's not like, oh, heaven will be nice, or being with Jesus, that would be nice. In Paul's mind, this is this far exceeds. In other, other passages, he would say, our present sufferings don't even compare to the future glory that we're going to experience. That whatever we're going through is temporary. Christ is eternal. So make life about Christ. To live as Christ, to die as gain. That sounds radical. You may not be there. I, I read that passage and I said, can I say that for myself? Is that true for me? Would you say authentically for you to live as Christ and your attitude toward the, our death is that it's gain? Who, has a, who, has a, who, who thinks like that when it comes to these things? I can't think of any better definition for what it means to be a Christian. To live as Christ. And the way we see death, it sounds weird, I know. But we believe it's gain because we will get to see him and be with him. And all this stuff that we're dealing with and we're walking through will be no more. And I lose that perspective sometimes. I get focused on my immediate. I get focused on my circumstances and my situation. And I'm just thinking about today. And I need that reminder of something bigger and beyond where we are, beyond our circumstances. And for Paul, that was Christ. So lock me in a prison cell. Can you imagine how frustrating it would be to deal with Paul? We're going to shut you up. We're going to lock you in a prison. That's fine. I'm going to keep doing in prison what I was doing outside of prison. I'm going to keep singing and praising. Okay? We're going to beat you within an inch of your life. That's great because when I'm, when I'm all better, I'm going to go back out there and I'm going to preach and I'm going to share the gospel with people. He was unstoppable. You can't stop somebody like that. Anybody has an attitude like this, they can't be stopped. So what does it look like to live as Christ today? I tried to think of some examples of some people that I know have been around that I think model this really well and they would never talk about it necessarily. Um, I thought back to 2012. I had the privilege of going to Ukraine with a guy in our church named Hank Brink. And I'm sitting around a table with these guys that had been sent to the gulags, the Soviet prisons in the 80s. Sign this document. You can go home. You can be with your family. All will be well with you. Just deny Christ. Stop preaching the gospel. None of them recanted. I don't know what's, you know, Siberia in winter. Dark, you know, dark conditions, uncomfortable conditions, painful conditions, never deny Christ. You hear those guys worship? It's humbling. 
I think of a lady who lives north of here, an Indian lady. She was, uh, worship, she was a Hindu, worshiping uh, her household gods. A guy in our church was teaching her daughter piano. She, she gets diagnosed with cancer. Ask him to pray for her. He, she knew he was a Christian. I'm covering all my bases. I got my family guys. I want to tap into your God. I'm covering all my bases. He shares the gospel with her and says, you need to worship only Christ. So she does. She stops worshiping the family God. Her whole life, this is all she's ever known. This is the only approach to God she's ever known. Her husband and family are devout. She's the only one. So she starts reading the scripture. He starts meeting with her. And then he invites me to go up one Sunday afternoon and visit with her. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, is this for real? You know, is she just wanting to know Jesus or know more about Jesus in the hope that he heals her over the cancer? And so if he doesn't, she's going to run back to her family gods. And I would totally understand that. I just kind of want to know where she's at. Is this for real? And we were sitting across the table and um, sharing stories. She's asking me questions. We're talking back and forth, getting to know each other. And uh, a friend is there from the church as well. And um, she looks up at one point and says, it's not about the healing anymore. I just want to know Jesus. To live is Christ. To die is gain. I think about, I sat down with a, a mission pastor and a friend of ours um, named James. Some of you know James. He was born and raised in a Southeast Asian country, dominated by military, persecuting Christians, much of his family spent time in prison. He was imprisoned. His dad was in prison. His dad was in exile for a while. His sister has spent time in prison. And now I know most of us are never going to face prison. I get that. But it's these extreme examples to us that sound, that can awaken something in us and say life is about Christ. If they can say to live as Christ that eyes gain, I can say that too. And so I asked James, I said, James, what does Philippians 1.21 mean to you? What does it mean to live as Christ to die as gain? I really want to know. And he sat up in his chair and he smiled. He said, my parents spoke of this verse a lot because life was hard for us. As Christians in this country, we could not find work. So we lived homeless. We'd go to the market and we'd find whatever food that people didn't want and we would take that home and clean it up and make soup out of it. And so we kind of were wanderers. And my parents would say this verse to us a lot. And they would say, kids, when difficult times come, you need to worship more, you need to pray more, and you need to trust more. You need to worship more, you need to pray more, you need to trust more. And they said, you know, we discovered there was a spot where we were living, and, and we didn't know this. My mom was doing this every morning, but we, just, we, we came across her one day, and every morning she had this little prayer bush. She would go behind this bush and pray and pray and pray and pray. And she came back one day and just a smile on her face that God is faithful. There was something bigger and beyond their circumstances. And they could faithfully say to live is Christ and to die is gain. So what can you do to nurture this kind of joy in your life? Kind of going back to what I said at the beginning. C.S. Lewis said, if you want to get warmer, get close to the fire. If you want to get warmer, get close to the fire. Get, get closer to Jesus. Get closer to the community. Realize that this is a fruit of the Spirit. There's no technique. This is not a formula. Do this, do this, do this. But we have to depend and rely on Jesus to give us this fruit and to grow this fruit in us. 
there's something you've been holding on to, repent. Come back to your loving Father. Confess that to somebody. You'll be okay. You'll survive it. I promise you. Spend time with the Lord regularly in His Word and prayer. I don't know anybody who has joy in Christ who isn't spending regular time in the Word and in prayer. It sounds basic, but I don't know anybody who has joy in Christ that isn't doing that. Because there's so much that enters our minds that we seek to steal our joy. We've got to put our minds on something. Paul was constantly telling believers back then, put your mind on good things and surrender fully to Christ. Love your church family. Build community. Invest in others. Don't, wait for, don't just wait for other people to invest in you and to serve you and invite you. Get around people who have this joy in Christ and obey Christ. You'll start seeing him at work. And I promise you, when you see him at work, it will give you a joy you didn't know. So obey Christ. To live as Christ, to die as gain. I pray that we can say that for ourselves individually. I pray that we can say that as a church. Imagine church, if we were to say that and believe that, where it would take us. There's no spot on this planet that we wouldn't be willing to go. To live as Christ, to die as gain. We would be bold, fearless. Paul talks about later in this chapter, the fearlessness of the Philippian church. He talked about how the believers outside of the prison cell were emboldened for the gospel. We'd be bold, we'd be fearless, and we'd represent a joyful Christianity to the world around us that is going through the exact same stuff that we're going through and is looking for joy, looking for escape, really, looking for happiness. And we say there's something deeper, there's something bigger, there's something beyond what we're all experiencing together, and it's our source of joy. To us, it may look like church attendance, it may look like obedience, but behind it, there's a joy in knowing Christ. And I want my kids to know that joy. It's hard to articulate. It's hard to communicate. It's almost caught more than taught. You know, I I watch people and I catch it. They're not going to sit down and say, this is how you do it. You catch it. It is a fruit of the Spirit. And I pray that for you. Jesus wants us to have joy, to be flourishing in our lives. And I pray that we can say that as a church. Let me pray. Before we take communion. Father, thank you for offering us joy. Holy Spirit, bear that fruit in our lives. Help us to keep our minds and our eyes focused on you. Lord, it says in your word that for the joy set before you, you endured the cross, scorning its shame so that we might come into your kingdom. What was that joy you saw, Jesus? What was that joy that was set before you on the other side of pain and suffering and difficulty? What was that joy? Help us to see that this morning. Was it us coming into your kingdom? Was it the nations gathered around your throne? What was it? Help us to see it as well because we're dealing with some hard stuff. We're overwhelmed. We're discouraged. We're uh, uncertain. All those things we've experienced, Father, remind us that you know and you've experienced them as well. And you've given us what we need to move forward, that though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil because you are with us, your rod and your staff, you comfort us, and you give us joy, which seems supernatural, awkward, strange to those outside who don't know you. But I pray that it is attractive to people who don't know you and they want to know more. Explain to me how you can have such joy in what you're going through. Joy through tears. Confidence and trust in you. That you love us, you see us, and you have authority. And on the other side is something that we can hope in and walk toward and walk through. Jesus, thank you.
I pray, Father, that as a church and as individuals, you would bring us to a point where we say, to live is Christ. We've tried everything else. We've put everything else in that blank, Father. But to live is you. And to die, help us to see death as the gain. And may we sacrifice our lives for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's come to communion. Let's spend some time with the Lord. If you did not receive one of these, raise your hand. We'll have an usher. Come and get, we got one down here. Anybody else? Raise your hand if you did not get a cup, a couple over there. Let's spend some time in communion. I'll read from 1 Corinthians. Paul said, um, as we we take the body and the blood of Christ, these represent the body and blood of Christ, and as we're talking about joy, I couldn't help but think that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross for our sake. Paul was willing to sacrifice for the joy of the Philippian church, and I I have to remind myself that I'm here for Mark's joy, for your joy, for your joy. You're here for other people's joy, that we can contribute to the joy of other people in our lives. And for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. He took his life. He laid down his life. He offered his blood. And by taking this in, we're saying, I want to be one with you, Jesus. I want to live as you lived. I want to walk as you walked. I want to have the joy that you had. And I'm taking this in. And I want to, be, I want to remember you and want to be one with you. So let's practice taking this. Some of you have already done it. I've heard it. Let's take the little, I'll try my best, plastic off. Paul was reminding the Corinthians in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians. He says, For what I received from the Lord, I passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he, t- he was betrayed. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I caught the second little layer there. I'm always afraid it's going like, to spray it on me. The blood, this represents the blood of Christ shed for you. Paul goes on to say, in the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying this cup is the new covenant, a new arrangement between God and you, and it's in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's take the cup. Let's pray. Jesus, our eyes are on you. Stuff is swirling around us. We're unsure about where it's going, but our eyes are on you. Give us joy, Holy Spirit. Take what has been said today and drive it deep into our hearts and our souls. Meet us at our point of need and our point of pain. You know what we need to hear. So Holy Spirit, speak to us. And may we be joyful in you. There's not necessarily joy in our circumstances, but there's always an opportunity for joy in you. Help us put our minds and our hearts back on you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.